This is the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast, episode 134. Good day and welcome to this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm your host, podcaster, and author of Fun Fantasy Reads, Jamie Davis. This podcast is exactly what the title says it is. It's a show where we focus on everything to do with fantasy and sci-fi books. Um, I talk about epic fantasy, urban fantasy, we have uh, pure sci-fi, we have space opera, you name it, we've got everything about those things and the best and brightest authors here on the show. And uh, we add a few other special guests in along the way too. Starting off things this week, I want to drop in with my personal writing update. I'm hard at work wrapping up the editing for the Paramedics Amazon. I'll be sending that off to the editor next week. It's book eight in the Extreme Medical Services series and is due out in October. As soon as that's finished, I'll be starting on the next project, which is a continuation of the Accidental Champion series that I've written. This will be picking up where Carrie and her parents left off in their adventures in Phantasma, so check that out. Things are going wrong in Phantasma, and only the Dix family can sort it out. You can check out more information about what I'm up to, including sneak peeks at upcoming covers, uh, special giveaways, and a lot more. Just visit my fan group over on Facebook, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers, and of course my website and blog, jamiedavisbooks.com. I look forward to hearing from you. If you leave a comment over in either of those places, I will get back to you. Uh, I love chatting with folks about books in general and fantasy books in general, not just my stuff. Joining us this week on the show is Robert W. Ross. Robert is the author of the best-selling Sentinels of Creation print and audiobook series. The fifth book in that series, A Crucible of Order, was published in January earlier this year, with the remaining two books scheduled for release in January of 2021 and 2022, respectively. In addition to Sentinels, Robert has just released Paradigm 2045, which is his first full-length science fiction series, Trinity's Children is the first book in that series. Robert has both a passion for pop culture and a loathing to discuss himself in the third person. However, his wife convinced him that anyone who took the time to read his books or listen to his audiobooks might want to know a little bit about the person who made them. Robert and I talk about his books in the first person, especially his Sentinels of Creation series, so check it out. Here's our interview. Robert, welcome to the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. It's great to have you on the program today. It's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Why don't you take a few moments and uh, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and and a little bit about how you decided that writing was something you wanted to get started doing and um, put some books out there. Okay, great. Um, So my name is Robert W. Ross. Uh, and I came to writing, I guess, later uh, in life. Well, actually, I, I came to writing early in life, but I came to writing things people will be willing to read later in life. So um, so I, I've been a, a longtime lover of, uh, of books. I was that kid that, that snuck in and read books underneath the covers with the flashlight and then discovered um, if you move the radio dial just right, you could catch the Lord of the Rings at 11 o'clock at night at the far end of the, uh, of the range when I was supposed to be asleep. And that kind of spawned my love of audiobooks, which uh, I'm 
imagine we'll talk to it in, in a little bit. Um, but I've spent a lot of time in industry. I, I, I've been uh, uh, involved in uh, digital marketing uh, and artificial intelligence and uh, a bunch of different uh, corporate America-ish kind of things. And, and about six years ago, um, I finally decided that I was going to knuckle down and um, go through a very a rigorous process in my writing with alpha tests and beta readers and um, and launched my first uh, my first book, which I didn't know was going to be a series because I didn't know uh, whether or not the market would appreciate it. Uh, and I was blessed that it did. And that's Sentinels of Creation, which is an urban fantasy series. Uh, it's a seven book series. Uh, the fifth or five of them are out in all three formats, print, ebook, and audiobook. Um, the sixth book is in beta test right now uh, to come out in January. And then just this week, uh, I launched my first uh, sci-fi book with Podium Publishing. Uh, it's the longest book that I've ever written. It's about 170, 180,000 words. Uh, and that's a near future uh, sci-fi series. Excellent. Well, we'll try to dig into a little bit of all of that uh, here coming up um, in this interview. I, I think we'll lead off with um, your first book. Um, I guess that's uh, A Power Renewed from the Sentinels of Creation series. Yes, it is. Tell us a little bit about that series and its genesis for you. So the um, the idea of it was knocking around in my head for probably a solid twenty years, um, and um, it um, it originally came to me as kind of a, a high fantasy uh, kind of a story. Um, and over the years, I realized that high fantasy is, is not necessarily the, the strongest medium for me, uh, the strongest uh, subgenre, rather. Um, so, um, the Power and Nude uh, is, a, is an urban fantasy or a contemporary fantasy. Um, and the, the premise behind it is really um, that uh, age old maxim of, of when creation started, there was the uh, debate between. Uh, say God and, and the devil in this particular case, uh, or the powers of order and, and chaos. Uh, and they kind of divvied things up uh, to see uh, as a massive uh, millennial or eon stretching out chess game where, where humans would fall and gave two sentinels the ability to uh, alter the fabric of creation. Uh, think of it as kind of like what Neo could do inside the matrix if, if we were in fact the matrix. And it follows the course of this one um, character, uh, Kellen Thorne, um, as he uh, accepts this mantle of power from the previous Sentinel, um, who was the first one. Uh, and uh, so Kellen is the, the antithesis of this first Sentinel. He's not someone who you would think would be chosen for this particular role. He has a penchant for profanity, um, runs a bookstore, uh, has an eidetic memory, which turns out to be very helpful for him. Uh, and then uh, he has a series of adventures that are all part of a, a really long arc that takes you from the first book to the seventh, uh, where he meets the uh, love of his life from uh, 12th uh, century or 13th century Scotland. Uh, and uh, there are uh, vampires that do not glitter and cannot go in the sun. Uh, there are werewolves, there are demons, uh, there's all sorts of, there's the fae. So it's a really, I think, a rich world that people have, um, uh, again, I'm just honored by it, but people have really come to love, uh, love these characters and, um, and what they represent. Uh, when I first wrote it, I said, if uh, supernatural 
Ready Player One and Doctor Who had a baby, uh, it would be this series. It, it sounds just fascinating. I, I, I like your, your, you know, the way you described the main character being able to, you know, kind of reset things or redo things, um, influencing things the way Neo did in, in The Matrix. Um, that's a, certainly an, an, an interesting take on, a, on an urban fantasy um, concept, and, and I like it a lot, uh, you know, that this, this um, individual is going to have that kind of, you know, power, but I'm, you know, I'm sure they, he discovers it over time and, and has to, that's part of the process, right? Yeah. The magical system. In fact, I just was on, um, an ask me anything Reddit. Um, and, uh, one of the, one of the great questions is around the magical system. And I think it's really important, uh, in fantasy, um, that magical systems have significant, uh, limiting factors. Otherwise, you end up with, you know, overpowered characters and, and it's, it's never really fun after the first like half of a book to realize that that they're, they're never going to get into too much trouble because they're just so overpowered. And um, the, one of the two primary limiting factors in, in the Sentinel series is that um, the more you know, the more you can do. Uh, so it's based on a, on a basic premise of an intelligent designer, so, so that the world was, in fact, put together by some conscious effort. Um, and the more you know about how that individual or that entity put things together, the better you are at being able to take it apart or manipulate it. So the first Sentinel, Micah, was, uh, was, was born uh, in, the, in the Dark Ages. Um, and he, his concept of, for example, time was linear. It flowed, and he describes it as flowing like a river. It begins, it flows, it stops at the end. Um, Kellen uh, has the benefit of, of Hawking and Einstein and an eidetic memory that anything he's read is rattling around in that squirrel brain of his. So he's able to put together the concept of, of relativistic travel and what would and tachyon particles, which can travel faster than light and create that dilation. And what would happen if you were to position yourself at one of those distant tachyon particles and view the world? And then that becomes a way for him to rip time uh, to that original point that he's that he can conceive. So just like that intelligent designer could pretty much do whatever he or she or it wanted to do to creation because it knew it completely. Kellen has a fraction of that ability, so he's able to do that as well. The other limiting factor is, is more of a classic one, which is, which is mana. I didn't want to use the word mana because I thought it's overused, but the concept of you have only so much mojo, if you will, uh, and the more complex things you do, the more it uses. So, for example, Kellen being able to rip a portal through time uh, he might only be able to hold that portal open for 30 seconds, but he could, you know, uh, create tongues of fire dancing across his fingers for, you know, hours. Wow. And I, I like that. I think that that kind of understanding of, of, of the magic system is important to a fantasy books. Uh, you know, it's funny and almost the believability of the fantasy book, which is funny because it is fantasy. Um, but it is important that the reader be immersed in the system enough that they understand they understand it from a human perspective of the characters, and and that make that allows them to immerse themselves in the world. Yeah, it kind of kind of creates some baseline rules. And when I, when I decided to go into science fiction, and I know we'll talk about that more later, but, but I think it's an interesting juxtaposition here, is that um, 
I was I was nervous about it because it's, it's shifting genres is a real complicated thing. At least for me, it was, uh, and I wanted to to you know not fall on my face. Um, and as I was going through this, the the science fiction, I was like, wow, you know, the there's a corollary uh, between uh, limiting factors on magical systems and the science aspect of science fiction. So that that I, I wanted to minimize the hand wavium aspects of it. Um, which I think of as the overpowering aspects of magic. So, so uh, you know, if you have a science that you know, you know, your your spaceship has shields that don't have any explanation and they repel everything. Well, that's the same as if your magical wizard is able to have unlimited power. So, to uh, just like uh, having the ability uh, for your main characters to uh, to have limits on those capabilities, uh, I use in my science fiction. I use actual science to limit myself for what I'm capable of doing. Except in some areas that make just make science fiction unreadable. For example, the the, the vast distances of space. You you have to use a little bit of hand wavium around that. Otherwise, your characters are you know through the course of an entire book are going to move you know between Mars and and Neptune. Uh, no, there's always the need for some sort of faster than light travel um, because you're right. I mean, otherwise you never get anything done uh, in a story. Uh, right, so that's, right. that's interesting. Right. And, unless that is the story. And there are some books, there are some excellent science fiction books out there about that very thing. Um, but um, yeah, you know, very I, true. I, yeah. I like that. Um, I, I like that kind of adjustment and let's, let's shift gears here and talk about paradigm 2045. Um Talk a little bit about, um, you know, you said you, you drew upon the existing limitations that science understands as we see it um, for the most part. Uh, what's the story about? What, what, what's the premise behind it? So, I mean, it's a little self-serving, but I, I, I really dig this story because uh, it, it came to me um, uh, in, in two chunks, uh, really around two characters. Uh, and the first character, uh, Damian Howard, came to me first, and then the second character, uh, Charlotte Amandi, was kind of in response to the first. And the concept is of a of a, a human male uh, with a genetic mutation um, that um, that allowed long life. And so there's some research in there about how that how actually DNA sequencing. And one of my beta readers is a geneticist, so he was able to correct my countless mistakes in that area. Um, and uh, so he w- had his own personal SETI project. And, um, and in, in uh, 2004, he detected a signal. Um, and it was, uh, it was encrypted and keyed to unsolved mathematical proofs. Uh, so he created an AI agent to assist him to solve the mathematical proofs and then thus decrypt the message. So he decrypts the message, and this is in the prologue of the book, and he's all excited. And the message is basically, um, we detected uh, a fusion reaction in 1945, um, and as with all uh, members within this galactic area that it's referencing, uh, you have 100 years to um, to demonstrate faster than light travel uh, because sentient beings who are not who are both able to split the atom and not uh, travel faster than light have invariably demonstrated hostile actions that have been. Um, uh, detrimental to our community. So, uh, if after 100 years you don't demonstrate FTL, we'll um, we'll uh, deploy a, a pathogen uh, key to the sentient 
uh, genome uh, and purge life on your planet. So, um, so th you know, this is 2004 that this happened. It's um, 1945 is obviously when the Trinity nuclear explosion happened, which is why the book's called Trinity's Children. Um, and uh, and Damien Howard is uh, his task is to figure out how to solve this. Um, and um, he's assisted by uh, a rogue member of this community, uh, this galactic community, who has um, in each of the affected planets, we're not the only one, uh, just the first to, to discover it, um, planted a cache of assisted materials. Uh, because her, her belief, this, this character, Nora, her belief is that the, the bootstrap uh, ability of being able to develop FTL in that short a period of time is an almost impossible task. So she delivers some technology um, and, um, uh, and he has to find it. Uh, and part of, um, part of being able to use that, uh, as she, she explains in a, in a message to him, uh, is that the members of the crew of the ship will also be tested even as the ship is. Um, and so he uh, embarks on a, on a eugenics program uh, to, uh, to try to cr literally create the optimal humans for each of these roles of captain and navigator and security and engineer. Uh, and I explore some of the um, some of the ethical issues of eugenics. Uh, and like I do in Sentinels, I do a, li a little bit of this Forrest Gump type stuff where um, the characters uh, interact with historical figures um, as a way of kind of getting some of these points across. Dealing with a lot of heavy stuff there. I mean, it, you know, the idea of, of you know, I, I mean, my mind goes to like the galactic organization that, that comes up with this plan because it also is a great way to get real estate, right? I mean, you yeah. know, well, we gave them 100 years. They didn't come up with it. So we had to do what we had to do. But now we've got this perfectly habitable planet, um, you know, and I, so I, I just I can, you know, I could see that side of things. And then you've got this this whole idea of eugenics and and the race against time and all kinds of really heavy topics to, to kind of pour into. And I, I imagine it's just fascinating. When's that um, come out? Uh, that actually came out uh, two days ago. So, oh, well. Uh, well, I guess we're, we're in the future on this podcast. So that came out on the, uh, the 25th of August. Excellent. Uh, so that came out just, and, just before and, we um, recorded. So it's out now for everybody listening. Yeah. Um, I, that, I'm going to have to pick that up. That sounds fascinating. Um, and I, I really enjoy stories like that too. Um, I've, I've, I've liked many stories along those lines of, you know, first contact and what it really means and, and the impending challenges that come along with it. Um, I'm really yeah, and Jamie, uh, it's, you could, you could tell you, you, you do this, uh, you know, for a living or, or, or often because you actually predicted, uh, in your last comment. Uh, one of the plots for the second book, which I'm writing right now, uh, which is called Humanity's Promise. Um, and um, there's, uh, there is the underlying reasons um, for this, uh, the, the powers within this galactic community for, for, for doing this. And, and I, I obviously, I'm not going to spoil it since uh, no one's even, uh, very few people have even gotten a chance to read the first book yet. But, but like, with, like with politicians everywhere, it's seldom straightforward. And they say, Look over here when, in fact, their other hand is doing something else. Um, so, um, so yes, there is a, there is an underlying reason which uh, Omandi and crew will be uncovering 
uh, in humanity's promise. Excellent. Well, I, I'm I'm excited, and I, I I hope I didn't release any major spoilers. But uh, I didn't do it because no, I read all. it. I did it because <laughs> I I like to think about the deviousness of that, such things. Um, uh, let's jump into your um your work with audiobooks because I've noticed that you really you know have really focused a lot on getting your books into audio as well as their other formats as ebooks and and print books. Um, and and I'm curious. What drew you to that? I mean, I know what what I like about audiobooks, both as a as a consumer and as an author. Um, but uh, what what is it from your angle that that you find so fascinating about them? So uh, it you know it really starts as a kid, right? So um, I, I put in one of my author's note a poem um, about, um, and I can't quote the whole thing, but it, but it, uh, it it ends with something like. Um, Casts of gold, and I had a mother that 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 uh, read to me. Um, so my mom read me uh, Charlotte's Web and the Chronicles of Narnia, and you know, uh, having a, a parent invest that time in you is is the human equivalent of an audiobook. And I think that you know we crave stories, and ever since we sat around you know fires telling each other stories before there was even written words. Um, you know, we, we love them. So, and then, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, you know, me sneaking out and listening to, uh, the full ensemble cast of Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, when I was supposed to be asleep. Um, so I, I knew that I really wanted to have, um, audio books. Um, and that was reinforced by, uh, one of my uh, kids is a special needs kid and he has, um, some, um, challenges with, uh, with being able to read. Um, hasn't been able to get through a novel. So if I wanted uh, him and others like him to be able to enjoy my stories, I really had to uh, uh, focus on this uh, audiobook format. Um, and and it's it, there were some daunting challenges in trying to figure out how you actually get an audiobook produced um, as, a, as an early author, because uh, it's a big investment. Uh, and if you think it's hard to get a book published, just try to get an audiobook published, because you're looking at significantly more dollars because you have so much of investment uh, in the talent up front that someone has to put up. Um, but I knew I wanted to do that uh, for the, for the, you know, the reasons that, uh, that I mentioned, and that also colors the writing. Uh, so I've, I've written all my books audio first, which means that as I'm writing the prose, I, I, I spend a, a fair bit of effort trying to think about how someone's going to hear it. Um, so in the dialogue, you'll, you'll have, you know, um, a lot more descriptors about what they might be, be doing, almost like a screenplay. Um, and I spend a fair bit of time uh, trying to avoid, you know, repetitive uh, descriptors like said. So J Jane said, Joe said, Jane said, things like that. Um, so it's really a different way of, of, um, of, of writing as well. I, you know, it's funny when I started doing my first audiobooks and produce, I produced them myself for the most part with, with different narrators. And, um, I immediately changed the way I wrote because listening, you know, doing the audio proofing for each of the early books, you know, I, I became very aware of how my prose was performed and it, it, it always read differently, but when you read it out loud and, and you hear it perform back to you out loud, um, it is, it is, a, it is a different animal. And so I, I too, you know, I adjusted 
the, the following books after that, I always now think about that type of thing. Um, you know, how will it sound for the, for the narrator? Um, certain combinations of words are hard to pronounce um, in sequence yep. when you're saying them out loud. Yep. And um, so I had to you know, be, be thoughtful of those kind of things. And, and um, you know, and I agree with you. I think, you know, the, the history of oral storytelling in mankind's back history of whatever is far longer than the printed word. And, and I think yep. that we're hardwired in some ways for that kind of storytelling. Um, you know, people, some people can read and visualize the book and really internalize it. But for other people, for whatever reason, um, th- th- reading comes more difficult. It has more difficulty for them in, in various ways. And they have a harder time absorbing the full story and the full magnificence of it. But if you can perform it for them and tell them in the ways of the old scalds and, and the epic poets, and you can, you can turn something into this visual feast with just your words. And it's, it's really amazing and, and fascinating to hear that. I, I often, when I hear some of my books, I like can't believe that I wrote them, you know, I, because of That's how so they, funny you say that. Go yeah, ahead. I, I feel the exact, no, I feel exactly the same way, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I, and when you say classic, I'm thinking of Beowulf, I'm thinking of Homer. Um, obviously I, I'm not trying to compare myself to those classics. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I uh, sometimes I find myself la- uh, like laughing like an idiot at some of the jokes that I wrote because they're performed in a way that makes them almost entirely new. Uh, and I think that it, there's so few things in life where there isn't um, uh, kind of a, co- a cost benefit analysis. So if you if you write for for print, never with a thought to audio, I think the audio suffers. But if you write for audio first, I don't think anyone who never listens to the audiobook um, suffers. I think that the, the print actually just gets better because you have to write as if you're around that campfire. Uh, and it makes the, 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 the prose much more conversational uh, and it's much more, I think, intimate and almost lyrical. Um, and, um, uh, and so, so I, I think that it's, you know, it's, it's a real wonderful gift that we have that, 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 um, that so many people can enjoy this format now. Well, Robert, I have a feeling just based on the beginning of this conversation, you and I can be talking for quite some time, but we're kind of nearing the end of this, this uh, part of the uh, interview. And, and uh, I want to give people a chance to go out there and find your books. Um, Sentinels of Creation is the one series. Book five is out. Book six is coming out, I believe, in January of 2021. Is that still the plan? That's the plan. Yeah. And, um, and of course, uh, Paradigm 2045 just came out. So folks should go grab that too. And um, is there a place where folks can find you and communicate with you and touch base since people aren't going to conventions right now? Yes. Uh, they can go to my, uh, my, my publisher site, which is www.spartamac.com, S-P-A-R-T-A-M-A-C.com. They can go there and, and find uh, uh, sign books and, and some artwork they can get, some freebies and things like that, um, and all the normal places. on um, Author site on Facebook, uh, Podium Audio is my audiobook publisher, so they could always go there. 
um, and um, uh, on Reddit. Uh, I just finished doing an AMA there, so uh, all sorts of different places. But if you're if you're looking for, uh, and of course, a Patreon. I have a Patreon uh, page if you're uh, interested in getting some behind the scenes um, uh, audio and video. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my creative partner. Uh, Nick Podell, who does uh, voices all of my uh, my books, uh, he, you may know him from uh, Patrick Rothfuss' Name of the Wind. He's an amazing talent and, a, and an even better friend. Um, and so, uh, when we work on voices, um, I uh, we go through dozens of them, and I, I keep all of those conversations, and then I put them out on my Patreon page for some people that are interested in, you know, why does Lucifer sound like David Bowie? Well, let me show you how that happened. Um, and, um, and, and so that's on that Patreon page. Excellent. Well, we will definitely have links to everything in the show notes for this episode and folks can find all of that over at our website, fantasy-focus.com. And, um, of course, uh, in this interview as well. And, um, Robert, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's great chatting with you. I, I wish you continued success and good luck with your future projects. Uh, just fascinating chatting with you. Oh, and thank you, Jamie. It was, uh, it was a real pleasure. I can't believe we, we've already gotten through our time. It's, it seemed like it was like two minutes. It was a really great conversation. Thanks so much. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I hope you'll catch up with us for a whole lot more over at the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Focus community on Facebook and, of course, at our website, fantasy-focus.com. Leave a comment on this episode. Let me know what's on your mind. And, and while you're over there, don't forget on each episode page, right at the top below the player for the audio file, you can find links to subscribe to the show on your favorite mobile app, iOS or Android, or even by email. Don't miss out on an opportunity to catch all the episodes as they come out, as soon as they come out. We have some awesome authors scheduled, including a special set of guests. We have authors Jeff Kohanek and Michael Evan coming on the show next week to talk about an interesting project they're working on. You won't want to miss their episode. That's it for this, though, for the Books and Authors Fantasy Sci-Fi Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy Reads. Don't forget to follow me over on Facebook at my reader group, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers, or on my website, jamiedavisbooks.com, where you can get a free book. Just sign up for my newsletter while you're over there, and I'll be happy to send you a link to download a free copy. Whatever you do, though, subscribe. Come back here and catch the next episode of the podcast. And while you're waiting... Don't forget to keep your eyes open, folks, because there's magic all around you.